0: Welcome to another episode of Morning Coffee with your host, Rick Alexander. I started this show to talk about all of the interesting, complex, paradoxical, and sometimes uncomfortable aspects of the human experience if you get anything from this show the greatest compliment you could give me is to share this show with somebody that you think the message may resonate with or to head to itunes and give us a five-star review additionally if you want to interact with me you can follow me at rickalexander underscore on instagram without further ado on to the show How we see the world, part four-ish. Welcome back to the MCP. This week I am exploring all of the different factors and influences that affect the world that we see and ultimately engage with. Because if anything has become clear over the last year, year and a half, it's that many of us are living in very different worlds. And so as facts come in, It is our subjectivity that interprets those facts, decides what's important about them, and as such actually changes what it is that we're seeing and dealing with. I started talking about how our family of origin shapes our first notions about really the entire cosmos and and what that means for us. And then I talked a little bit about how our value system actually changes the world that we're in very profoundly, right? Because what you think is important is going to determine what you prioritize and how you make decisions and what you see. Well, there's something else that I think is really important that I talked about a lot. I was just interviewed on Dr. Mike T. Nelson's Flex Diet podcast, and we talked a lot about uh, nervous system attunement, the sympathetic parasympathetic nervous system. So when you move into a place of fight, flight, freeze, sympathetic nervous system, it's actually changing the world that you see. Now the world is of course the world, right? This isn't changing, but what you see is. And since all you are, all you have available to you is what you see, it really matters what kind of place you're in. So first we have to understand that the the brain has really two different functions, right? The first one is survival, and the second one is meaning-making. Now, the lizard brain that you've all probably heard of before, the survival center, is much, much older than the meaning-making functions, right? And so what that means is that it's a lot stronger, it's a lot more hardwired, and because if you don't survive, you don't get to make meaning, it gets prioritized. And so the decisions you make to survive, however, have to be understood as different than the decisions that you might make if you were trying to thrive. And so one way that this can really work against us is when our survival function and our meaning-making function are actually at odds. As I said, because what you do to survive and what you do to thrive are very, very different uh, responses. So let's just start with the physiology of a sympathetic nervous system response. So this is this turns on in an instant and you're not in control of when it turns on. And that's a really good thing because if you found yourself in danger in a survival situation like a snake on a trail or a car coming at you or something, you actually want your body to respond before you have to consciously make a decision. And so what happens is your entire world, the aperture of your consciousness, gets whittled down and narrowed into survival routes. What has to happen here to survive? And also, as I said, it's underneath cognition. So you're not making cognitive decisions in that place. And so, actually, faculties and energies is actually rerouted from your cognitive faculties, and it's all directed toward the response, the sympathetic nervous system response, that has to be turned on in order to survive. So the example I like to give is if you're walking down the street and someone comes up to you and they pull a gun out. The way that you're viewing the world at that moment is much different than the way you would be viewing the world if that didn't happen, right? If you had a you were just in a calm, relaxed sort of place that was attuned your nervous system was attuned to the environment that it was in right one of the problems with ptsd or really anything whenever we experience trauma which is nervous system overwhelm is that that gets stored in the body the body maps the world out as a profoundly unsafe place to be and the nervous system continues to turn on even when it's not helpful and you don't need it to be on and so it becomes really difficult for you to see the world in the same way that you would if you were in a calm relaxed place like you're not going to take the same amount of risks if in fact you're making decisions to survive except of course we all know that you have to take risks in order to cultivate a meaning like meaningful life for yourself right you might even say that meaning and risk have a have a sort of reciprocal relationship to each other right so you actually have to take risk Not stupid risk, but you do have to take risk because nothing in this life is certain in order to cultivate a meaningful life, right? Start a business, go to grad school, start a relationship. like These are all risks, right? There's nothing certain here. And so in the case of obvious fear, we all understand that that would profoundly affect what we're looking at and how we interact with the world. But what's really worth meditating on and understanding it's that we're constantly exposed to fear in our world today except we don't get the same we don't have somebody pulling a gun out so we don't necessarily know that it's happening like we've normalized it so much right the media social media all of these things marketing right we we're constantly having scarcity and having fear tactics kind of pushed on us without actually realizing it. So the way that I like to explain it is if I were to give you like a full dose of morphine, five grams or whatever, and just give it a bolus, like one push straight into the vein, you would be like, here it goes. I'm high now, right? You would feel it come on. You would know it. But if we drip that same amount of morphine over an hour or two hours, probably wouldn't feel it until all of a sudden you're like, oh, geez, now I'm high. So imagine if you were constantly having to live in this place where it was just being dripped, 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 right? So that is what's happening to us in our nervous system with our fear response. And so what happens is we're watching the news or something like that, or we flip open social media, or we're looking at the death count from COVID or something like that. And we don't necessarily feel this great onset of fear, which has moved our nervous system into a sympathetic place, right, into a place of response. And because we don't feel it, we don't realize that it's actually changing the way that we're looking at the world. Like we would make very different decisions if that fear was not present. So you have to understand here that perhaps one of the most profound acts of self-love that you could ever show yourself is having a standard for what you allow to penetrate your consciousness. Because if everybody gets to live in your head rent free, just turn on the news, turn on social media, first thing in the morning, and you just open the aperture of your consciousness and you let whatever come in, you're gonna get the marketing narratives that say you're not good enough without this product. You're gonna get the fear narratives that say you have to be careful because this thing could kill you. Right, so you're gonna get all of these narratives about what you're not, what you have to be scared of, And because we've normalized it so much, it doesn't feel like somebody's pulling a gun out on you when you're walking down the street. Yet, a fear response is a fear response whether or not you know that its onset is coming. And so what happens if we don't have any sort of self-regulation around these things is that we feel like we're making decisions in our best interest when in fact we're making decisions out of survival. It's the idea that we put ourselves in a prison that is so complete that we think that we're free. We don't even see the bars because it's what we're looking through. It's not what we're looking at. And so because of that, we have to, again, have a standard for what we allow into our consciousness. It really matters how we interact with the world and so every drip of fear that comes in it actually reroutes resources from the meaning making function into the survival function of your mind and so over time again you're making decisions that you think you would make but all things being equal you're not looking at the same world so there are paths that might be available to you that you're not going to consider taking Again, because you don't see them, because it's changing the way that you see the world. So it's a pretty basic lesson, and it's pretty easy to understand when you just think about the fact that these are physiological responses that are hardwired into us, baked into our DNA, and we can't get rid of them, right? Because that fear response is just telling you. It's like, hey, somebody that's like you died doing something like that, and so you've got to avoid that, right? And where that goes astray is when fear becomes weaponized, or it becomes a marketing tool, or it becomes something to get more viewers, which is happening in our world today, right? And there's no, there's no governing body that's like, hey, you can't scare people. We don't have any, there's no regulation on this whatsoever. And so the fear just keeps coming in, and we keep making decisions, though we would never make them, all things being equal, if our nervous system was in fact attuned to the environment that it's in. And it's also really important to understand here that the fear only has to be perceived, right? It doesn't have to be actual danger, which is precisely the point. Because in the modern world, we're you know very rarely in actual danger. Not to say that it doesn't exist, but it doesn't exist on the day-to-day level that it, that it has for thousands and thousands, millions of years, right? For the last couple hundred years, we've really done a good job of creating a lot of safety nets and bubble wrap around society. But if you perceive a fear, it might as well be real because you're going to respond to it as if it's real. And it's going to affect your consciousness as if it's real. Anyway, how we see the world part four. I love you guys. Have an amazing day. We'll talk later on Morning Coffee.